As a Child, God's Call to Littleness, by me, Phil Steer. Episode 9, Believed. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the book Alice Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll, there is a short exchange between Alice and the White Queen on the subject of belief. I can't believe that, says Alice, responding to the White Queen's claim that she is 101, five months and a day. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, says the Queen. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. As Christians, Many of us will have experienced periods of doubt during which it can feel as if holding on to our faith requires just such mental gymnastics. And if this is how it can sometimes seem for those who have seen at least something of the reality of God and his kingdom in our lives, just consider for a moment how hard belief must be for those who have not seen and with whom we seek to share the good news of Jesus. Indeed, I well remember when, in my late teens, I first began thinking about the meaning of life the universe, and everything, as the writer Douglas Adams would have it, and discussing spiritual matters with a few school friends who happened to go to church. My reaction at the time was just the same as Alice's. One can't believe impossible things. Or, as I stated emphatically, I can't make myself believe what I don't believe. Let's be honest, such a reaction is not altogether surprising. Jesus as both man and God, his birth to a virgin, his miracles and healings, his perfect and sinless life, his rising from the dead, indeed, the very existence of God himself. There, that's six impossible things for starters. Then there's the explanation of why Jesus' life and death was necessary and what it all achieved. Our rebellion against God, our fall from grace, the broken relationship, the need for justice, the perfect sacrifice, the price paid, death defeated, complete forgiveness, eternal life. It's a lot for someone to get their head around. And yet, I can't help but wonder if we don't have a tendency to overcomplicate things. A few years ago, a British bank ran an advertising campaign, which focused on their claim that they provided simple and straightforward services because life's complicated enough. I can almost imagine Jesus making the same claim for the good news of his kingdom. This too is meant to be simple and straightforward. So simple and straightforward, in fact, that a little child can accept it. Indeed, not only can a little child accept it, but only a little child can accept it. For as Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. But let's be honest, most young children would seem to have little or no concept of what the good news of the kingdom is really all about. And this being the case, how can they possibly accept something they don't understand? The obvious answer is that they don't really accept it at all. They just blindly believe whatever they are told. And that therefore their belief in God is really no different from their belief in, say, Father Christmas or the Tooth Fairy. Whilst there is undoubtedly some truth in this, it would be wrong to conclude that this somehow invalidates a little child's acceptance of God and his kingdom. The authenticity of their childlike faith rests upon the reality of God, not upon the depth of their understanding. 
We all too readily reduce the good news to a set of statements to be believed, a series of assertions to be accepted. But this is not what it is meant to be at all. Indeed, much of the message that we feel we have to communicate is not, in fact, an integral part of the good news of Jesus. Rather, it comes in large part from the New Testament letters, and as such was written not to explain the faith to non-believers, but to help the members of the early church understand what they had already accepted. It was written, in other words, to encourage those who already had a faith in Jesus, not to convince those who did not. None of which is to suggest that what we believe about the good news is unimportant, or that you have to abandon your intellect and understanding, and leave your brain behind when you become a Christian. But intellectual knowledge is not the key to the kingdom. Indeed, I suspect that very few people are actually convinced into a belief that the good news is true. Some years back I was involved in leading the Alpha course that our church put on for people wanting to explore the Christian faith. As we prepared for one course the phrase, taste and see that the Lord is good, came to mind. Our sense was very much that people would come to faith not so much through what was said in the talks or through having their questions answered during the discussions afterwards, but through seeing and experiencing the reality of God in their own lives and in the lives of others involved with the course. I committed my life to God while still not truly believing any of the impossible things that had seemed such a stumbling block to me coming to faith. As I had argued with my friends, I had indeed been unable to make myself believe what I didn't believe. But I had got to the point, or rather, as I see now, God had brought me to the point, where I was able to accept that it might just possibly be true, and if so, I ought to do something about it. And so, still unbelieving, I prayed to this God who might not exist, and offered my life to him if he did. At the time I felt no different, but the next day, speaking of what I had done, I was suddenly filled with an assurance that it was indeed true. For me, this was my personal experience of Paul's promise to the church in Corinth. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It would be wrong, of course, to build a theology on one's own personal experiences. Nonetheless, I do think this illustrates an important point. We tend to feel that people will not come to faith unless they truly believe the good news of Jesus, having arrived at a conviction and a confidence that it is true. But a belief such as this is not, primarily, the result of human reasoning. It is the work of God's Holy Spirit in a person's life. Rather than being a precondition of commitment, frequently it comes only after a person has chosen to give their life to God. For we are called not to believe a doctrine, but to believe in Jesus. It is a belief not in something, but in someone. It is like a people believing in their president, or an army believing in its commander. Perhaps more pertinently, it is like a child believing in her parents, believing that they are in control, that they know what is best and will look after her. It is not so much a head knowledge as a heart response. It is saying to Jesus, I will put my trust in you and seek to follow where you lead.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of As a Child. I do hope you'll join me as I read the rest of the book. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And I'd be so grateful if you would rate, review and share so that more people can get to hear it. Thank you so much. Next episode, Revealed.